Good morning. It is good to see your smiling faces. And uh, the freezing temperatures are gone. All right? That means the humidity and mosquitoes have joined us. And uh, it is what it is, right? By the way, I was looking at all these decorations, and I uh, did think if you are an arborist and you have the time, would you please bring these trees at the stage back to life, man? These things have died, and they need a resurrection, right? Uh, I also, by the way, want to say hello and welcome those of you who are joining us online. You're part of the online crew, the online campus. We thank you for taking the time. And our hope today is that by the end of service, four hours from now, you will have said, that was worth my time, right? Uh, My name is Dave, and I pastor Great Lakes Church in uh, Wisconsin, uh, southeast Wisconsin to be specific. We have a campus in Kenosha and another campus in Racine. And if you've never been there, it is a tropical paradise. So anytime you are thinking, hey, we need a vacation spot, that is the place to go. And uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, I have a little energy and I've just embraced it. So uh, they said, hey, where do we put the chair? And I'm like, what do you mean chair? So well, we, we sit when we, t- I'm like, I'm not sitting. All right, give me a, so I've got this little space to work with. I've had my Lucky Charms, my Captain Crunch and my Adderall and I'm ready to go. And um, for the past 15 years, I've had the honor, and I mean that, it's an honor to speak at least on an annual basis here at Westbridge. And my connection to this place is that, this is a true story, I used to be uh, the youth pastor out in Buffalo, Minnesota, uh, at a church out there, and I happened to be Jeremiah's youth pastor. All right, so he was in my youth group. All right. Now, when I say in my youth group, I was 19 years old and he was 15. I actually have a picture of this, uh, of when he was in my youth group. Here I am in the middle with uh, my Charlie Brown shirt. Here's Jeremiah. I don't know if any of you know Aaron Gulling, Steve uh, Royalty, but uh, these kids w- w- were part of the group and it was a fun, fun time. So uh, glad to be back with you at Westbridge and it just does feel like home because I've been here so many times. So today uh, we are in a series just called Voices. Right? We're just hearing from different voices this summer, and I happen to be uh, one of those voices today. And what I want to talk about is something that all of us want, something that all of us desire, something that all of us hope for, and that is a better life than we currently have right now. There is not a single person on this planet that I'm aware of that is so content with themselves that they would say, I don't want to have improvement or a better life in any area. Right? We all want a better life, but of course, what we imagine that to look like is different for all of us and what needs to improve, whether it's something in our parenting or something in our marriage. Maybe it has something to do with our career that if it would change, we'd say that would lead to a better life. Maybe it's a financial situation or a house on the lake. Maybe it's something to do with your health. Maybe for you, it's just as simple as, man, I just, I've tried to connect with God and I just always feel like God's a million miles away. And so if I could learn to connect with God, that would be a better life for me. Maybe it's a more unified family. What does it take to get a better life? And what does a better life look like? Right? When I was in middle school, we used to uh, have a guessing game in which we imagined a better life. Um, and uh, one of the games we played, because there was a couple of them, one of them we would play MASH, Mansion, Apartment, Shack, and House. Anybody remember this game where you're like, you're picking out houses and then you're picking out potential spouses and special you know, uh, careers and, and cars you would drive. It was always like Lamborghini, I'm married to a celebrity and I'm living in California. Nobody picked living in Minnesota, I guarantee you, right? That wasn't part of the, of the thing. But there was another game we played and uh, it, was, it was a cootie catcher. 
All right, now I had one of the teenagers of the church, I asked them to make me this uh, to see if it would bring back memories. And really, regardless of what generation you're part of, because the teen, I said, do you, do you have cootie catchers in your generation? He says, uh, we call them fortune tellers. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's how it goes, right? You have different names. Uh, but you probably remember this. You, you have different colors and, and different numbers. And, and then it would say, this is what it takes to, to get a better life. And so let's just play this right now. Red, yellow, blue, or green? Red, R-E-D, pick a number, seven, eight, three, or four. Seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pick a number, one, six, two, or five. Five. If you want to have a better life, make the Green Bay Packers your team. That's, uh, that's, that was literally what was written on there. Let's, let's do one more. Here we go. Red, yellow, blue, or green? Uh, blue, B-L-U-E, uh, two, five, one, or six. Two, one, two, uh, two, five, one, or six? Six. Do you want to have a better life? Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. All right, there you go. That's, uh, that's how the game is played, right? And so we all know it's a fortune teller, a cootie catcher, right? Just child's toy. And, and we imagine from a young age, what, what, what does a better life look like and what does it take to get there? And, and of course, we don't have those in real life, but what we do have in real life is we have advertisers and we have marketers. And we have corporations and organizations and researchers and scientists, and they all say, this is what you need to do. And so I wrote down some of the things I need to do if I want a better life, right? I need to eat certain foods every day, fruits, vegetables, proteins. I need to get enough fiber, calcium, iron, and zinc, vitamins A, B, C, D, E, and K. I need to do cardio and strength training. I need to meditate so my body and my mind align. I need to eliminate stress, nurture my creativity, improve my posture. I need to be financially responsible. I need to change the oil on my vehicle every 3,000 miles. I need to change batteries on my spoke to twice a year. I need to replace my toothbrush every three to four months. I need to flip my mattress every six months. I need to buy new pillows every two years, and I need to invest in crypto. I mean, this is what it's going to take to have a better life, right? And that's just the start of all the things that we're supposed to be eating and doing and drinking and changing and replacing. It's exhausting. Now, add to that, if you're a follower of Jesus, all the things that we know we're supposed to be doing. We should be serving, loving, and caring for people here, near, and far. We should be sharing our faith with others. We should be volunteering. We should be gathering together in small groups to encourage each other and study the scriptures. We should gather in large groups like this to sing and to receive communion and to pray and to give generously and to support mission work and to learn how to live out our faith. We all want a better life. And we all picture it to be something differently, but whatever it is that we picture in our pursuit of having a better life, the one thing we have in common is inevitably at some point we begin to be, uh, feel defeated and discouraged. Because it starts to feel like it's just a mirage. It always feels like we're going to fall short of whatever we're supposed to be doing and accomplishing and achieving. And the good news for all of us is this problem is not unique. This isn't something that just came about in the last couple of years. This is something that people, humans, and more specifically in the context of what I want to talk about today, for followers of Jesus, uh, we've struggled with for thousands of years. The Apostle Paul, who arguably is the greatest leader in the history of the church outside of Jesus, in one of his letters, he writes about his desire to do the things that he knows he's supposed to do. And he admits, he says, I'm not able to keep up with everything I know I'm supposed to do. I feel like I'm always falling short. I'm always failing. And then immediately after he says that, he writes these words. He says, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. 
Paul says, as I consider my life, as I consider the kind of person I want to be, all the things I want to accomplish, he says, ultimately what I do is I focus on where I want to end up. That I just want to finish this thing called life, the, uh, the spiritual journey. He calls it a race. And if you read into the words that he's writing, he's, at the end of the day, he just says, man, I, I want to be faithful. I want to be focused. So if you were to evaluate your life right now and you were just to be real honest, and you were to say, that's where I want to end up someday. That's the kind of person I want to be. Not just the things I want to accomplish. That's the person I want to be. If you were just real honest, where have you drifted off course? Where have you maybe taken some steps in the wrong direction? If you're looking at the ultimate destination of where you want to be with your family or with your marriage or as a follower of Jesus or maybe in your financial situation, where have you taken steps in the wrong direction? Maybe you haven't prioritized family the way you need to or you haven't given marriage the attention or maybe you've allowed uh, bitterness or resentment to get in your heart and you just kind of neglected it, you haven't dealt with it. Maybe you've kind of felt disconnected from God and you've just kind of ignored it. But where have maybe you gotten off course? Because what I want to do today is I want to invite you to forget the past, look forward to what lies ahead. I'm inviting you to focus on the kind of person you want to be and to focus on what's important in life. And whatever it is that you choose to focus on, specifically in this season, let's say you're in a season where you're like, I need to start refocusing on my marriage. I need to refocus my heart on uh, becoming a generous person. I need to refocus myself on becoming a forgiving person because of just how resentful and angry I am all the time. I want to refocus myself on maybe becoming healthy uh, financially. What I want to encourage you to do and invite you to do is to stop thinking short term. Stop thinking that this is going to happen in three weeks. This is going to happen in three months. Stop thinking short-term and start thinking long-term. This is so important. Because what we want to accomplish in life, but more importantly, who we want to be in life, doesn't happen overnight. Several years ago, when Jerry Seinfeld was first beginning his TV show, he was at an open mic night, and there was an amateur comedian there by the name of Brad Isaac, and uh, he's performing, and he sees Jerry at the club, and even though you know, Seinfeld is just getting started, the, the show, and uh, he realizes this guy's famous, and he realizes this is probably going to be my only chance to ever talk to him, and so he walks up to him, and he nervously asks him, he says, what advice would you give to a young comedian? Just starting out, and Seinfeld responded by saying, well, the way to become a better comedian is to write better jokes. And then he said, the way to write better jokes is to write every day. And then Seinfeld went a step further and he told Brad, he said, what you need to do is you need to get one of those big wall calendars that has a whole year uh, on it, uh, on one page. You need to hang it on a prominent wall. And then what you need to do is you you need to go buy a red magic marker. And he says, for each day that you write, you need to put an X on the calendar. And he says, after a few days, what's going to happen is you're going to have a chain of X's. And then what Seinfeld told Brad is he said, What you need to do is you just need to keep at it because the chain of X's is going to continue to grow and you're going to like seeing that chain. And your only job at that point is to not break the chain. And so here's this young comedian wanting advice from Seinfeld and he's told you need to show up day after day after day after day. Now you've never heard of the comedian Brad Isaac because he didn't become a comedian and went on to be a software designer and a blogger. But the advice that Seinfeld gave to him that day is something that he carried with him into his career. 
He said, it just works in whatever you do in life. And, the, and, and this is one of his quotes. He says, it works because it isn't the one-shot pushes that get us to where we want to go. It is the consistent daily action that builds extraordinary, extraordinary outcomes. Those who achieve things in this life, right? Those who seem to have a better uh, marriage than most people, better financial situation, those who seem to be better parents than most, those who seem to, who seem to have a stronger spiritual foundation are the ones who've learned how to bring themselves again and again and again and again and again to the very same thing over and over. Again, any area of life. At the start of uh, one of his letters, uh, specifically the letter that he wrote to followers of Jesus in Rome, the Apostle Paul uh, starts his letter with these words. It's right in the beginning of the letter. It's not the very first words, but it's right there in the first chapter. He says to these followers of Jesus in Rome, he says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. I like this verse. To me, it's a very interesting verse when you think about it because what Paul is doing, when he's writing to the church in Rome, he's actually writing to a network of small house churches. All right, they didn't have auditoriums like we have here at Westbrook Church. He's writing to a network of small churches and he's saying, hey, you're famous all over the known world because of your faith. And what's interesting is at this point when Paul's writing this letter, Paul had never been to Rome himself. He hadn't started the church in Rome, but he was very familiar with them. And he says, what I know about you is you have a reputation for how you love Jesus and how you love others. A reputation is not built overnight. It takes time. That's why if you found out about an 18-year-old kid writing a book on parenting, you're going to throw it in the garbage. If somebody hands that to you, you're like, nope. Back in the mid-90s, there was a 21-year-old kid who wrote a book on marriage. And he wrote a book on dating. And he says, to do dating and marriage God's way, here's the plan you have to take. Now, I don't shame him, but today he's divorced. Today he realized that, hey, there are big valleys in marriage and there are big mountaintops in marriage. It's not easy. I'm convinced if the Apostle Paul were writing a letter today and he was addressing the followers of Jesus at Westbridge Church, whether the in-person, right, or online crew, if he's writing a letter today, he would write in a very encouraging note. He would talk about how generous this church is, very generous with both time and resources and supporting mission work, right, locally, nationally, and globally. But what I know, because I've had an inside look from the day you started, is this has been a 15-year journey, right? You support things today. You do things today that you could not have done in year three. First couple times I spoke at this church, I looked around, I thought, I don't know if this thing's going to last. <laughs> I mean, come on. Pastor Jeremiah and Cherry, they're in their 20s, right? They're just learning, figuring things out, making mistakes. I, 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 but for 15 years, you've continued to show faithfulness day after day, week after week, month after month, and your reputation and your influence as a church has grown. And this is so important. It's one of the most dominant themes in the different books and letters and uh, history and poetry, uh, the collections that make up our Bible. This theme of faithfulness. So I want to take the rest of the time that we have today, and I want to talk about some learnings that we have from Scripture on this thing called faithfulness, because it is a big, big deal. Number one is this, faithfulness matters. It matters. 
You have a destination that you're trying to get to. The only way you're going to get there is through faithfulness. Consistency matters. Dependability matters. It matters in marriages and in families and in churches. It matters in hospitals and in business. It matters in communities and in schools. People who are spiritually healthy, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, relationally healthy, they're the ones who've chosen to apply certain principles in their life and repeat those principles over and over and over again. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. There's a book in our Bible called Proverbs and it's filled with lots of powerful statements. Uh, Most of the statements, they're just a sentence long. And yet they're jam-packed with wisdom. Here's one of those statements. Ants are creatures of little strength and yet they store up their food in the summer. Whoa. Is that... It's not, it's not one of those light changes where like nobody's holding up that verse at some game like they do John 3.16, right? It's just easy to overlook. Ants are creatures with little strength yet they food, store up food in the summer. And as ridiculous as that sentence appears when we read to us, the idea is that the way ants survive, the way they're able to build entire colonies is they're relentless. They just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It's just a re- bunch of repeated trips where they carry one seed at a time where they carry one grain at a time, one little bit of food at a time into the anthill. And when this proverb was first written and it was first shared, it was shared with individuals who are trying to survive in an agricultural world. 3,000 years ago, right? Most families living in an agrarian culture were just one or two bad harvests away from financial disaster. They don't have refrigeration like we have today, right? They don't have the way of storing things like we do today. And so the author of Proverbs, he writes about the ant and he says, what I want you to learn is how important it is to be prepared. Small things done repeatedly is what builds momentum in life. It's the small acts of love done consistently in marriage that build a healthy relationship. It's saving a small percentage of our income over time that prepares us for retirement. It's setting aside a little bit of time on a daily basis to pray, to to read the scriptures, maybe to listen to worship music, and to do things uh, to pause so that we can connect our hearts with God and sync our hearts with him. It's small acts of gratitude on a regular basis that keep us from feeling entitled. So more than 150 years ago, there was a uh, uh, plan that was put into place to build a suspension bridge over uh, Niagara Falls. Right now, this will show you the gap. It's obviously not the fall, but this is Niagara Falls uh, area, and, and it shows it's 800 feet across. So, how do you get a bridge 800 feet across 150 years ago? Well, well, one of the suggestions that someone came up with is let's fly a kite from the Canadian side to the American side, uh, to the United States side, and um, let's just at least get a, a little, you know, kite string across. And so they did it. They, they enlisted a bunch of kids to try to fly a kite across. And uh, an American boy named Holman Walsh won the, the contest. And he, he flew his kite from the Canadian side to the American side. And, and then the workers used that little string that had gotten across. They used it to pull a cord across. And then they used it to pull a heavier cord across. And then a heavier one. And then they started using ropes and wires. And eventually they were able to build the suspension bridge that they had set out to build. And that suspension bridge carried people and horses and carriages for a very long time. Eventually, everybody could visit the world's biggest tourist trap, right? And they're able to enjoy it. But faithfulness matters. Another thing about faithfulness that we know is it produces results. 
There is power in repeating small disciplines, small habits, small principles over and over and over in the most important areas of life. But the reason we don't do this, the reason this is so difficult is when change isn't immediate, we, we lose motivation, right? And the change we want happens very, very slowly. The process is very, very boring. It's repetitive. Same thing over and over and over. When it comes to my health, I don't want to lose 12 pounds in the next 12 months. I want to lose 37 pounds by my high school reunion next Thursday, right? That's what we want to do. When it comes to my spiritual maturity, it's discouraging because what can happen is I can get up and I can pray and I can read my Bible and I can set aside 15 minutes during my lunch break to try to maybe get into nature and connect with God or listen to music that points to the greatness of God. And I can set aside time each month to serve others. I can be doing everything I can to try to connect with God. But here's the deal. Three weeks in to doing whatever I've chosen to do, I'm not going to feel like a spiritual giant. Change happens slowly. Experts say that real change often happens, uh, takes place uh, between three and five years. You can develop habits before then, right? It may take months to develop habits, but real change takes three to five years to really see something happen. So you read, you read your Bible and you're trying to understand it and it's just like, man, this is ancient. I feel like it, it has nothing to do with me. It's written in a whole different time period. and It's just easy to give up, but don't give up. Maybe just change what you're doing. Maybe just saying, you know what? I'm going to just find a, a, the verses that we speak about at Westbridge on a Sunday. Those are the verses I'm going to focus on all week long. Or I'm going to find one chapter and I'm going to read it and reread it and reread it as many times as I need you until I feel like it's sinking in. Or, or maybe there's a broken relationship in your life with a friend or a family member. And you've reached out, you've texted. We need to talk and they didn't text back or they texted something just destructive back and it just feels like, no, not going to do it. Just keep at it. Use wisdom, give space, give margin. I get all those things are important. Stay faithful. You're in an unhealthy marriage. Start speaking your spouse's love language. Figure out what it is. Acts of service, affection, gift giving, quality time, words of affirmation, whatever it is. And just say, I'm going to use wisdom on, again, giving space if it's in a very bad place, but I'm going I'm to stay consistent. Guys, 2017, I went through a very difficult time at the church I pastor. We moved six times in a year, lost hundreds of people. It was just a very challenging time. And, and that began to affect me and my emotions and how I felt about myself. Then I'd bring that home. So my marriage started to crumble. And it got to a point, we, we literally took a week and went to intense marriage therapy in, in Florida. It's not easy being married to my wife. And so we went, no, I'm just I, No, we, we go there and I knew I had to do so much work. And it was frustrating because I wanted to come back fixed. I wanted to come back whole. I wanted our marriage to... But you know what the therapist did? He just gave us a work plan. He said, now you need to start putting this in. And my wife and I, it took about a year before we said, man, we feel like this thing's this working again. And, and we recently talked about it. I feel like our marriage is in the best place it's ever been in the history of 26 years. Don't ask my wife about that. Just trust me. It's, it's, it's the healthiest place, right? No, but we, we believe that, but it took time to get there. Whenever someone begins taking next steps in any area of life, they, come on, we want change to happen immediate. We want people to trust us right away. If trust has been broken. It's like, well, I've changed. I went to the therapist. I've talked to this person. I, I've surrendered my heart to God. No, trust me. That's not how life works. It takes time. It takes time. 
Nothing happens overnight. Uh, several months ago, I uh, had a couple stop me in the lobby of our church, and they were in their 60s, and um, they were getting married. They'd been dating for a while, and they said, uh, hey, Pastor Dave, would you be willing to officiate a ceremony? Do you do, you do weddings? This is how they asked it. And, and I had recognized this couple, but I didn't know them, and I said, hey, listen, we've got a couple campuses. I'm very, very busy. I, I do weddings for family and close friends. However, if you email me the information about your ceremony, what I'll do is I'll just forward it onto a staff member and then we'll find someone to do your wedding. I can promise you that. They said, oh, great. And so uh, a couple days later, I get this email from them and just said, hey, you asked about the details for our wedding. So we're getting married at Disney World and uh, we're willing to fly a pastor and their spouse down, put them up at Disney World Resort and then pay them on top of that. And so I tell you that story because when I went to Orlando earlier this year, uh, I got to tell you, it was a good time, right? I did respond. I said, why didn't you tell me this in the lobby is exactly what I said. Um, but when I was in Orlando uh, doing this wedding, which was a fun wedding, um, I kept thinking that this all started with a dream. It all started with a dream, right? Walt Disney back in the 40s had this dream in his mind. And then Disneyland didn't come about to the 50s. Disney World didn't come about to the 70s. You go to Orlando, Disney has completely affected the entire city. But it started with a dream. What needs to change? It's going to take time. Maybe you see life through the lens of negativity and you're just like, you just constantly gravitate toward the bad in life. It's going to take time to change. A few years ago, I read a book called A Simple Act of Gratitude. And the big idea was that uh, the guy, uh, the author of this book, he had decided to just get into a more grateful and less entitled type of thinking. He was going to write a thank you note every single day for a year. You think about how long it would take for the impact of writing a thank you note to begin to change you. Right? One day of writing notes, not going to change. One week of writing notes, not going to change. Two weeks, not going to change. Three weeks, probably very little change. And eventually what's going to happen is you're going to start to think, well, this is stupid. Why did I ever do this? It might take more than a hundred notes before you start looking up and seeing the positive in the people around you and seeing the good in life instead of spiraling into a vortex of negativity. Some of the greatest impact that we will ever have in this life is when we simply decide to show up and do the same thing over and over and over again. And it's possible that we will miss out on our greatest opportunities for impact and influence if everything has to be new and interesting all the time. You want to have an impact as a nurse or a teacher? You want to have an impact as a volunteer, as a coach? Just keep showing up every single day. Keep bringing your energy. Keep staying focused. 3,000 years ago, King Solomon, he's dispensing wisdom to those who are wanting to grow and to mature. And he writes these words. He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Faithfulness matters. It produces results. Another learning we have about faithfulness as we read the scriptures is that faithfulness is rewarding. People who go the distance, they're able to push past the boredom and routine, not because it's easy, but because they're thinking long-term, not short-term. Right? You're the parent of a grade schooler. You got a kid in first or second grade. Come on. It's boring. Every day is the same thing. You wake them up. They go and get breakfast. You got to help them with their breakfast. Then you got to go have them get dressed. 
They come down the stairs. They're walking out the door. You have to say, did you brush your teeth? They run back in the house. They run up, go get their teeth brushed. They run out the house, go get the bus stop. They come home. They do their homework. They eat dinner. They go off to bed. The next day, it's the very same thing again and again and again. And you just keep doing it. And you're just like, this is the life that never ends. It's hard to see growth in our kids. It's hard to see growth in our children. The repetition is not fun. It's not easy, but faithfulness is rewarding. I have a daughter, Caitlin, who just graduated college six months ago. I thought this day was never going to happen. It felt like that day would never come, but it did come. I have another daughter, Alyssa. She's experienced lots of different pressures in her life. And on different occasions, I've opened uh, up even at Westbridge about the struggles she's had with mental health. From age 15 to 19, she did not live with our family. She was living in programs, learning how to cope and manage with mental health. Today, she's 21 and she's doing incredible. My wife and I are incredibly proud of her. She's working at a program about 30 minutes from our house. She used to be a resident at that program and now she is there helping students, young ladies that she sees herself in, right? Learning, uh, giving them the tools to learn how to cope with the stuff they're going through. It didn't happen overnight. There were many times my wife and I just felt like there's no hope. She's going to battle this her whole life. And guess what? She probably will battle mental health her whole life, but now she has the tools. This is why the apostle Paul writes, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The Minnesota Vikings were founded on January 20th, 1960. <laughs> For almost 23,000 days, this team has worked really, really hard to bring home a Super Bowl trophy. For 62 years, they've been unsuccessful. Billions and billions of dollars. I just want to give you hope. Someday they're going to bring home that trophy. As long as they don't play Green Bay in the playoffs, they're going to bring home that trophy. Power and consistency, right? Power and habits. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Faithfulness matters. It produces results. It's rewarding. Another thing we learn about faithfulness through the scriptures is faithfulness creates security. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a, a widow named Timothy, uh, 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 Tabitha, uh, and she had... Um, recently died, so this, the, she was a widow, and then she dies, and her family and her friends come together, and they grieve her loss. And, and it just so happens that at the same time uh, that her family and friends are grieving, one of the disciples of Jesus, Peter, who's in the area, he decides, well, I'm going to go over to where the family and friends are gathered, and I'm going to console them, because he was also friends with Tabitha. And when he gets to the house, here's what we read. We read, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, uh, who's, that's also Tabitha, she went by a couple names there, that, that Dorcas and Tabitha had made while she was with them. Now, 2,000 years ago, most widows in Eastern culture were living in desperate poverty, right? So life would be unbearable for them if they lost their husband, and there's no one there to take care of them. And so Tabitha takes it upon herself to care for some of the widows, even though she was not, even though she was a widow herself. And so here they are all gathered in a room and they're lifting up clothes and they're showing them to Peter. She did not buy these clothes. She made them for them, which means she would spend time day after day, sewing, measuring, buying material, which was not cheap 2000 years ago, very time consuming progress. And as far as we know, she did not do anything big, right? 
that would be talked about on the news, that would be written up in the papers. But she was faithful and her faithfulness made a difference. I mean, think about how a new outfit makes you feel. The, the room Peter walks into is filled with widows showing Peter these clothes that have brought them warmth and dignity and hope. Faithfulness brings this sense of security. We have people in our life who are cheering us on. We have people in our life who are in this with us. Faithfulness matters. It produces results. It's rewarding. It creates security. And one more learning, faithfulness brings hope. It produces optimism. Not right away, but the longer you're faithful, the more you start to see, hey, we're making progress here. Something's happening. The marriage isn't healed right now. We wouldn't say that the marriage is 100% the best it's ever been, right? My wife and I, it took us years to get there. But I'll tell you, a year into it, we said, hey, we're making progress. Hey, we feel like we can hang out and have fun again. It produces hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I'm not saying that once you start something, you have to stick with it forever. Sometimes we do things for a season. Right? I've, I've been a pastor uh, at Great Lakes Church 13 years, started it in my parents' living room. There have been some moments that I could not see past what we are currently in the season. It's guys like Jeremiah and Cherry and, that would help me in those seasons because we, we, we've been there, Dave. We've experienced that. We've gone through difficult things. We didn't move six times. They couldn't relate to that, right? But uh, in, in one year, but they say, hey, but here's what we know. We, we thought it was over here and, and God got us through. If everything has to be new and interesting all the time, it's going to be impossible to make a true impact. There are times where we just have to step back and say, I want the destination so bad. That's the person I want to be. That's where I want to end up in life. That I am not going to give up. I am going to recognize the power of consistency. So look at the heart of any organization that is thriving, including Westbridge Church. 15 years. You have your own building. You've got influence in the community. At the core of every organization that is thriving and making a difference, what you are going to find is that there was a group of people who just kept showing up. When it was difficult, they showed up. When it was boring, they showed up. When they didn't want to, they showed up. When they were tired, they showed up. They just kept showing up. Faithfulness matters. It produces results. It's rewarding. It creates security, and it brings hope. I'm convinced that is why one of the signs of being filled with God's Spirit is faithfulness. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So the Spirit produces in us. And so Brad Isaac says he's in a comedy club at an open mic night, and he asked Jerry Seinfeld, what words of advice would you give to a young comedian? And Seinfeld says, well, if you want to be a better comedian, you got to write better jokes. And if you want to write better jokes, work on your material every single day. Have a calendar, put an X on it. After a few days, you'll have a chain of X's. And your next job is just don't break the chain. That's fascinating. What's more fascinating to me is the advice that Seinfeld did not give him. He, he did not say, hey, if you want to be a better comedian, what you need to do is you need to find an agent who can get you on SNL or The Daily Show or The Tonight Show. What you need to do is you need to look through your break, for your breakthrough moment. He, he didn't say what you need to do is you need to create some really phenomenal YouTube videos that are going to go viral and rocket you into popularity. You need to get on TikTok. That's going to be your breakthrough. He didn't focus on the breakthrough. He just knew the breakthrough will happen if you focus on the daily activity and the power of showing up day after day after day. Faithfulness matters. It produces results. It's rewarding. It creates security and it brings hope. So one of the evidences of God's spirit at work in us is faithfulness. To say, I'm not going to give up. 
And the reason it's evidence of God's spirit in us is that's who God is. God is faithful. The apostle Paul, he writes a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, and he says this about God. He says, hey, I want you to know, Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. The Jewish prophet Jeremiah, he writes to the Jewish people in what is arguably the darkest season they ever faced as a nation, living in exile. And Jeremiah writes these words on behalf of God. He says, the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. It never ends. His mercies never cease. He says to these people who are just distraught because the Babylonian empire have come in and just ransacked the city of Jerusalem and so many of the Jewish people have been marched off to, uh, to, to, to live in exile. And he says, I want you to know great is God's faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. For those of you who your marriage is just at a tough spot, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. I want you to know that. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. For those of you who are just in a tough financial spot, for those of you who are in a crazy difficult situation with your health, I want you to be reminded today, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. The disciple John, he writes to those who are defeated by some of the choices they've made and their lack of willpower and the sins that they've committed. And he says, I just want to be clear. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He's faithful. But, but what if I told God I wouldn't do it and then I did it anyways? He's still faithful and just to forgive. Well, what if I told myself I was never going to do it, but I did? He is faithful. What if I said I was never going to do it, uh, not, I was, I was not going to do it, but I did it anyways, or vice versa? He's faithful and just to forgive. God is faithful. And he invites us to be faithful. He knows that the great life we want tomorrow the great marriage, the great parent we want to be, the, the great student we want to be, the, 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 the great financial situation, the, the relationship, the connection we want with God someday. He knows it's dependent on a bunch of little actions today. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to invite you, if you have never opened your heart to the grace of God, to do so today. Maybe as we talk about like the destination and where you want to end up and we talk about even a spiritual journey and feeling connected to God. You, you, if you were honest, you say, you know, I've never opened my heart to the grace of God. And so I want to give you that opportunity today. And regardless of what you've done in your life, regardless of how much shame, right? The fact is, I think we all know this. We can't live up to God's expectations. We can't even live up to our own expectations, right? Much less God's expectations. So we, so we fall short. And part of becoming a follower of Jesus is recognizing that. And saying, I'm broken. I, I sin. I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. I know what I'm supposed to stay away from, but I do it anyways. I have evil. I have wrongdoing inside of me. There's something in my nature that I just don't have enough willpower. He says, when we confess that, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And so the simplest way I can put it is, if you've never done that, basically what you're doing is you're saying, I've been on the throne of my life. I've been making the calls. I do what I want to do ultimately. I try to please people, try to honor people, try to work hard, but at the end of the day, I'm still in charge. So today, what I'm doing is I'm stepping off the throne of my life and I'm inviting Jesus onto the throne. I'm no longer the king or the queen. Jesus is now in charge. Which means that I look to him to be perfect because I'm never going to be perfect. I put my confidence in him. His death on the cross was for forgiveness of sins once and for all times. And so instead of me thinking I'm going to climb up a ladder of behavior, I'm going to embrace the fact he came down the ladder. 
His death on the cross was for forgiveness of sins once and for all. So I put my trust, my confidence in who he is. And at the end of the day, when I become aware of what he wants me to do, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, as boring as it may be at times, I'm gonna choose the Jesus way rather than my way. If you've never done that, as we close in prayer, just in your heart, why don't you just say, Heavenly Father, I embrace that today. I want you to be my king. I ask you to forgive my sins. I wanna follow you. Let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that in your mercy and in your love and in your kindness, you never waver. You're just consistent. We thank you that your compassion, your grace is just consistent. For those today who have never surrendered their lives to you and they are making that decision, I pray today would be a marked day as they step off the throne of their life and invite you onto it. May their sins be now forgiven, past, present, and future. Help them to follow you. And Lord, for all of us, regardless of what it is in our life that we know we need to realign with you, no matter what area of life we've drifted off the path that we know leads to the destination we eventually want to be at, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us the ability to recognize where we've drifted and then give us the courage to do the things to get right back on that path and to be faithful and to not quit and to not give up. And may we continue to hear stories at Westbridge Church week after week, month after month, year after year of how people's lives have changed by your grace, but our cooperation as we've been faithful to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks for having me today. I hope you have a great rest of the week.